0: If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to uh, Romans chapter fourteen. Um, I'm only going to do the first thirteen verses today. I was going to try to do this in one week, and that's foolhardy if you really want to give. We you know we, shorted, we shortened the sermons to 25 minutes, and I just I can't do any jokes or stories or anything. I mean, you just feel like you got to just dive in and just rip it out, man. It's all you it's all you got time for. It's the whole idea. Like I I was at a pastor like consultant college, so he's like, oh yeah, like. You know, sermons are just going to have to go to, like, you know, 20 minutes or 15 minutes because it's going to be a digital world. We're all going to be online. I'm just like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, do you realize our culture is becoming less tolerant of Christian faith, less biblical, more amnesic of human nature? Our sermons are going to have to go to two hours. Right? So um, maybe we'll give you a chance to, like, get refreshments in the middle when we get there. Okay? All right. Here we go. Romans 14. For none of us lives to ourselves alone, and none of us dies to ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord for both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. you say amen? I like that. Just kick is already Baptist. Okay, um, let's see if we can dive right in. Okay, what do you do when somebody who you think you're like-minded with, you have the same worldview as you believe the same thing, thinks through some issue in the world that is morally consequential, not trivial, and you come to literally opposite conclusions about what the right thing to do is? It happens. Happens all the time. What are you going to do? What are we going to do? What's everybody going to do? I don't think we're handling this very well as a culture. I like to make understatements. Um, And there's just, there's piles of examples of this. Now, in the text, it calls these things disputable matters. Because the apostle is implying there are some things that are not disputable matters. Right? Whether or not adultery is good, that's not a disputable matter, right? Whether or not Jesus is Lord is not a disputable matter, right? There's there's a number of things that are explicitly taught in Scripture. These are not considered disputable matters, right? But there are a lot of things that are not explicitly taught in Scripture. For example, how should you parent children in a Christian household? Should you like be very like connectively like nurturing and like just make sure they know they're loved and all that, right? should you like be a free range parent You're, like let them go out there and have experiences they got to like learn about the world and like and develop their creativity and ability to be resourceful or are you like like the disciplinary parent like look you need to know kids need to know what the rules are and they need to know like they have to respect authority and they need to know like how to treat other people and they need to know how people function in social societies like they need it and, like they need to be good people right well, I mean, I think a mature Christian would see some wisdom in all of that. And you can reason from different passages of Scripture and different values and things God teaches about himself to any of those views as your main view, right? Or like, obviously, politics is one. Like, I, was, I did a wedding in a, in a common walk literally yesterday. I mean, that whole county is like a mask protest zone. <laughs> Apparently, the, the sheriff over there was like, yeah, I'm not enforcing that. And so people aren't doing that. Right? And so, like, I'm like, shoot, this is like a vacation. You're right. Like, but Christians are going to disagree about obedience to government within, because you'd be like, well, the Bible, that's not disputable. The Bible says obey your government. Yes, but that was under the Emperor Nero. Like, what do you do if you're a Christian in a democratic republic that's constitutional in which we have like, responsibilities as voters and citizens within that, and certain rights that those that they didn't have under Romans 13. We have responsibilities of authority in government, in this kind of a constitutional government, that they didn't have in Romans 13. So how do we sort that out? Right? Do, we may have responsibilities in a constitutional republic to protest something the government does, where that might not have been something we were called to in a system of government that didn't have such rights. Christians struggle with that. I've heard all kinds of very sophisticated discussions about that on all different kinds of ends of the political spectrum, right? Um, Think about digital life and discipleship. How much should you use a phone? How much should you be looking at this thing? How much like how what place should it have in your life? How does it function discipleship wise? Is it good to read your Bible on your phone? Or does something happen when you look at a book that doesn't happen when you look at a phone? What about discipleship? Is there something fundamental about being together in the same room as human beings where we can, like, take in each other's pheromones? Or is being online pretty much the same? Or are, are the benefits of being online more than the benefits of being here in person? Or if we only preach for 15 minutes, we might get more people in the room. But if we preach for two hours, we might get more people to make it to the end. Right? Like, ha, these are all issues, right? Like, is Justin Timberlake or Anna Kendrick a better troll? I mean, who really—I mean, you could get to any conclusion about some of these things. Right? And so the question is, what what are we going to do? Now, the apostle makes very clear in these verses what human beings normally do when they don't realize that the kingdom of God—this is verse 17 I'm quoting now that I didn't read— that the kingdom of God is about righteousness, holiness, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's very easy to forget that, whether you have strong faith or weak faith, because we're human beings. What naturally human beings do is that when you have a disputable issue, the person who takes the negative view, that's bad, we shouldn't do it, will naturally judge the person who thinks that we can do it. Right? The person who thinks that we can do it will naturally be annoyed at the person who feels like they have the right to judge them and look down on them with contempt. That's what naturally happens. Right? And what happens is, is that you can wash, rinse, and repeat this cycle. Because the minute you feel judged— you feel contempt for the other person, and you show it. <laughs> and then what is the person judging you feel like? Do they go, oh, maybe I shouldn't judge them. I was wrong this whole time. No, they go, you see, not only is the person doing the wrong thing, but they're also arrogant and stubborn, and, and they judge them for like three more things. And then the person's like, oh, you think I'm arrogant and stubborn? And then, so then that person starts to flaunt the thing, right? And like, I'll show you. Just think parent teenager here, right? Right, they, start, they flaunt the thing, like, oh, yeah, you think this is bad? Right? And then, right, I'll, get, I'll get nine tattoos. I'll get them all the way around, you know? And, you know, and, and then, like, well, the, 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 the judge, judgy person gets judgier, and the, and the contemptuous person gets more contemptuous, and it just goes and goes, and they divide, and they divide, and they're all, all so sure of themselves, and everybody knows that they're right, and it's very terrible, because what the apostle says later in the passage is, three things happen. One, you dishonor God, and you destroy his work. Because God's work is the work of faith in people, which produces love, and you're destroying that. Right? Two, there's this verse that's a little harder to interpret. It says, don't let—this is later in the passage— what you believe is good be spoken about as though it's evil. It doesn't mean if somebody says something—I've heard some Christians— say basically, if somebody says something that's wrong, Christianly speaking, you shouldn't just let them get away with that. You should get in there and say something. That is not what it means. Now maybe you should sometimes get in there and say something. I'm not saying that's never true, but what that verse means is don't behave in such a way as so that everybody hates what you value. Don't treat other Christians and get in this cycle and judge and condemn and have contempt for and all that so that Christianity looks so ugly, so that the thing you think is great is actually spoken about out there like it's evil so that the kids who grow up in this church leaving even like, the last thing I ever want to be is a Christian, right? Now and some people are going to say that because they're, they're foolish and they're arrogant, right? And some people are going to say that because they had terrible experiences with God's church. We can minimize the second. We can do some things to lessen the first, right? And so what we have to do as Christians is realize this is what's going to naturally happen, not just to non-Christians, but to human beings. To all of us, it's going to be our impulse. It's going to be the first thing we're going to want to do in the flesh every time these sorts of things happen. And here's—and you may be like, well, not me. Of course you. Right? Like, because here's the thing. These disputable matters are morally consequential. They're morally consequential. They're important. And so you think that your view is better than the other view. And maybe it is. And so it's not like you're like, oh, it doesn't matter. Right? How you think we should help the poor? That matters. How we raise children? That matters. How we handle our digital lives relative to our discipleship and evangelism and worship? That's going to matter. These things, they, they really do matter. And the people who literally come to the opposite conclusion, that's consequential. And if, you, if you, you're like, oh, it doesn't matter, then you're not a serious person. Like there's, there's a problem with how interested you are in the things of God because God cares about all this stuff. These are things God cares about. And if you're like, ah, whatever. Well, it's not whatever. We're supposed to be living for righteousness, holiness, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to do good, and to do good, you have to believe you know what's good. And it bothers you when somebody thinks what's good is the opposite of what you do. And when they share your worldview, when they're a believer, and then they think the opposite of you, sometimes that feels like a worse betrayal than somebody who is just like your ideological enemy. Because you thought we were on the same team. We thought we were in the same family. We thought we thought the same way. And now you're thinking the opposite of me. It's like you betrayed me. Right? Freud called it the bigotry of small differences. So what do we do? Okay. Instead of accepting the result of really ugly division, where we destroy someone for whom Christ died and have spoken of evil, that which we believe is good, we need to recognize that ruining the reputation of Jesus and the faith of others is not a disputable matter. That is not, that is not disputable. How you behave in how you walk out your belief in a disputable matter, that is not disputable. Do you understand? How we do it, how we love one another, our behavior, how we grow in maturity, how we act is an absolute. Your position on some of these disputable matters that's wide open. Let's look at this a little bit. So this is going to be two weeks. Here's how I would summarize Romans 14. God's servants are yours to build up, not to trip up. I'm trying to be as slick as Luke, but this is just not my forte, okay? (laughs) God's God's servants are yours to build up, not to trip up, right? It says later in the passage, let's commit ourselves to peace and the edification—that is, the building up like a building—the edification of other people. That's what we should commit ourselves to. Peace among us, and the building up of others. And we should do that because we understand that the faith is not about eating and drinking, but it is about righteousness, holiness, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Right? Now, the first thing to realize in that, that God's servants are, is to, to, um, to build up not trip up is that these that everybody the people around you are God's servants not yours okay so I'm not your servant and you are not my servant do you understand? you be like "Oh, Nick Christian it's Christian faith Jesus and we're supposed to be the servants of all we're everybody's servant right? yes and by role we do serve everybody around us that's true I am here I am here to serve you. That's my role, but that's not my identity. Uh, the reason I serve you is because I'm God's servant, right? God has made me his own. Jesus became the perfect servant of all of humanity, died in service of humanity, and because of his humility and because of what he did, it says, God the Father raised him to the highest place and made him master and Lord the perfect ruler of all the servants of God and all of creation, and I, through faith and his graciousness, have become his servant. I'm God's servant, and you're God's servant if you've come to Christ. You're not my servant, and I'm not your servant. By identity. Now, by role, we're everybody's servant. But here's what that means. It's my role to serve you, but am I supposed to accept your judgment of me? Not really. not really. I care, but I don't care. You know what I mean? I'm open to the feedback, but your premature condemnation of me, which is the context of judge in this context, it, 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 it's irrelevant, right?. Um, it says in verse four, he says, why do you think you can judge somebody else's servant? See, the fundamental reason why you can't engage in premature condemnation of another person, judging them, is because they're not yours to judge. It's like you, if you worked in a company and you went into another division and started doing evaluations and firing people. And they're like, what are you doing? You don't even work here. And you're like, look, this has to be done. You guys aren't doing it, so I'm going to do it. You're like, they'd be like, yeah, you, what do you, we're going to call security. Like, you, they would treat you like a lunatic because you have, You have no right to judge those people, even if you're in the same business. They're not your servants, right? Um, The lord and and, uh, servant in this context can can be a master-slave relationship, but sometimes it's like a military commander-soldier relationship. Another lieutenant can't come and like judge me if I'm under another lieutenant. I'm that person's soldier. He's my Lord, right? The person with authority over me. And it's not that guy's job to judge me. It's this guy's job to judge me. And you see, one of the things that Paul's trying to make really clear is like, listen, we are the servants of each other, but by identity, we are the servants of God. And therefore, nobody's judgment counts. It's just not your job to judge other people. You can give them feedback. You can try to help them see something. You can rebuke them, Scripture says. But if the form of judgment you're using— is a form of premature condemnation that is not drawing them back to doing everything to the Lord, such that the gospel would be better spoken about, so that their faith would likely be enhanced, and so that they'd be drawn more into living for the kingdom that is righteousness, holiness, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If it is the kind of condemnation that is designed to or will likely have the effect of trying to confirm their bad behavior, to move them further out so that you don't have to deal with their toxicity anymore, then it's not your job, right? What the passage says is, is that they, have, they will stand or fall to their own master—this is verse 3 verse 4— the servant stands or will stand or fall. They will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Now that is primarily a reference to justification, because think about this. Let's say I had an employee, and they were doing something, and I was absent, and it turned out the thing that they were doing was bad, okay? It was, like, it was just, it was wrong to do. Um, But I believe that they were really trying to do what they thought I wanted them to do, and they were doing it really diligently. They were doing it really conscientiously. And I show up, right, and they're doing it wrong, and somebody else comes over and starts reaming them, just judging them. Just like, we should throw this guy out with his weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'd be like, hold on there, tiger. Like, yeah, this is wrong. I'm going to correct it, but this person was doing what they thought I wanted. Like, I'm actually kind of pleased. It's a lot better than if they were doing the right thing so that they could profit from it or so that they could stick it in somebody else's face if they were doing it not conscientiously. Because... Because they want to do what I want them to do, they're very easy to correct, right? Because remember, verse 6 says this, though they're disputable matters, though you could have different views, though he doesn't want us to fight about our views, his solution is not to not have views. Right? Look, if you have very strong political views, God bless you. All these things that have to be decided about, you have to decide about. You can't help the poor until you think you know what the best thing to do to help the poor is. So you have to have a view on how to help the poor. He's like, that's why everybody should be fully convinced in their own minds about all these different things, even if you're going to believe literally the opposite thing. Why? Because you can't even become a self or become mature unless you think through and decide on a lot of things in human life. To become mature as a Christian, you have to take the message of the gospel and apply it to things like, how am I going to raise these kids? How am I gonna love this husband or wife? How am I gonna date this person? How am I gonna engage in this job? What am I gonna do with the fact that my job does something that I think is immoral, but it's not really my job to deal with that? Do I attack it and make myself a martyr or do I hang in there hoping to change it? Like there's all these different, different ways you can think through things and you have to think them through and come to a decision in order to act and that is part of maturity, spiritual maturity and emotional maturity and just human maturity. So the solution is not to not have beliefs, to be mentally languid and just so open that there's nothing in our minds or hearts. God wants us to be full-minded and full-hearted people with very specific views that lead us to act in certain ways that we believe are righteous and holy such that we can do good in the lives of other people. But now you've got people who think stuff, who sometimes think the opposite things about the same stuff and are frustrated at each other that that's the case. Right? But it's important to realize that one of the reasons why God, God is teaching this way through the Apostle is because the part of the state of faith is a good conscience before God. Right? In some ways, it's better for you to be doing something to the Lord. So you think God is a certain way. You think, therefore, you should believe a certain way about something, and you're doing it as an offering of worship to him, your whole life is oriented to the Lord in thankfulness and in engagement with God, and in that context, you're doing X. See, that person is very easy for the Lord to correct. The Lord to just be like, ah, let's think about that differently. Because in most of these disputable matters, listen, it's not binary. It's not like, oh, we help the poor or we don't. Some of these things, the answer might be different when things change. Right? Like, like for example, between 1880 and 1920, with so much alcoholism and the way things were getting industrialized in America, maybe then it was the right thing to be a teetotaler—no alcohol. Maybe that was more right then, but maybe in 1720, when kids were dying from water that wasn't sterilized, and they were dying because they didn't have, they had certain nutritional deficiencies, when a bunch of reformed Christians in England and the greater UK developed Guinness beer so those kids wouldn't die, and gave beer to five-year-olds, maybe that was right. Then, some of these things, they might, what's right might be different at different moments, in different ways. We don't ever even really have the answer for a lot of these disputable matters, We're just trying to improve our conceptualization about how we might act in this present moment. And think about some of these very complicated issues like like racial justice and critical race theory and this kind of stuff. Like you think there's some kind of like, that's it, man. Like, I mean, maybe that's right. Maybe that's right. I'm not going to look with contempt on people who have a different view, but I mean, I think this is a moving target based on, like, what's happening and what the history was and what's happening right now. Wisconsin might be different than California, which might be different from Kentucky. It might be different here and in a kind of mile walk, that's only an hour drive. And so because of that, because of that, we have to recognize that, like, we have to be fully convinced in our own minds. The most important thing is that whatever we believe, we believe with a good conscience. We really are seeking God and seeking the truth. Because the unforgivable sin is lying to yourself and knowing it. And think about it. When the Pharisees said about Jesus casting out demons, you're doing this by the devil. Right? You could say, if you know God is doing something, you say God isn't doing it, that's the unforgivable sin. It's that, plus the fact that they knew they were lying. Like, if you—listen, because I've had people say, you know, Nick, I think the unforgivable sin is ever attributing to Satan or not to God something God is doing. And so if I say that, like, some, like, revival thing that looks really weird isn't of God, I might be committing the unforgivable sin. I don't actually think that's what the unforgivable sin is, though you should wash your mouth about other people's revivals. Like, I think what the unforgivable sin is is that God is doing something. You say God isn't doing something. That is, you're lying about God. You you neither have a good conscience towards God or the truth, and you know it, and you're doing it for reasons of power. Which is what the Pharisees were doing. They did not want Jesus to get more power. They didn't want more people to listen to him. They wanted them to pay attention to him. They wanted people to think that Jesus was of the devil. And when for power's sake or for some self-interested reason, you are willing to lie to God about the truth, you are doing an incredible damage to your own soul. You are inviting the process of spiritual damnation into your life, and you are wrecking yourself. And that's why, even if a weaker brother or sister in the faith is wrong about their disputable view, you don't try to intimidate them or force them to correct it. You don't try to get them to correct it for some other reason than that you are sharing with them that you think it's the will of God and the truth. That's why we don't play power dynamics and we don't intimidate people and we don't use judgment and contempt to persuade people of the truth because if we even if we get them to take in the truth for the wrong reason we may profoundly be damaging their faith and therefore the work of God I'd rather be wrong I'd rather you be wrong And God would rather you be wrong because God is able to make you stand. Even if you're wrong, but what you're doing is as conscientious as you know how in faith unto God it is in accordance with the truth as you know. And whether your faith is strong or weak, if you have the humility to refrain from being contemptuous to the weak or judgmental to the strong, you'll also be in a position where in that conscientiousness, you'll be easily corrected. You'll be easily corrected. So not only can God make you stand because he can forgive your sins because Jesus, the perfect servant, was a perfect servant in your place as the servant of God and died in that place so that you could be forgiven for your failures as a servant, but he also, in drawing you to himself and towards the truth, can draw you to a place of humility of heart so that he can easily correct you. So he can make you stand in your failures by his death and resurrection as the perfect master, but he can also correct you easily because he's drawing you to himself and the truth and drawing you back to the foundational reality that the kingdom of God is about righteousness, holiness, and joy in the Holy Spirit, not matters of eating and drinking. And that the body of Christ should be able to be united in that way. And lastly, for this morning, he wants you to focus in this way on yourself. Not in every way. Maybe not how perfect your eyebrows are, but like in this way, right? By saying, listen, don't have contempt for that person, and don't judge that person. One of these things, listen, focus on your disputable views, right? If these things are moving in difficult and complicated conceptions, maybe yours can improve. Maybe your view on politics is better than that other person's view on politics, but that doesn't mean it's your best view on politics, Maybe your understanding of technology is better than the other person's understanding of technology. That doesn't mean it's your best understanding of technology. Right? He says, listen, don't you remember the Bible where where God says himself, "Uh, everyone will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and every knee will bow, and every tongue confess. Right? And you're like, boom, these people are going to get it. And then Paul goes, you know what I want you to get from this? You know the application for us right here in Romans 14? He said, here's the application. That every one of us will stand before God and give an account for ourselves. <laughs> That's what it says. We will all give an account to God for ourselves. Right? In a moment <laughs> where you stand before God yourself, we're not going to be talking about the other person. Like God's not going to be like, so I brought you here one-on-one in the eschatological judgment of all mankind. What would you think about Alice? She was wrong, right? That's <laughs> not what's going to happen. That's not what's going to happen. He's going to have you give an account for you. And then in faith, he can make you stand because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, who performed perfectly as a servant on your behalf. And he can evaluate the service that you've offered and be pleased because he's full of joy in his own Holy Spirit. To be easily pleased for anybody who in any kind of good conscience and faith was willing to seek out righteousness and holiness in the life that he gave them and was willing to have the humility not to sit in judgment of those who thought they have freedom or to be contemptuous to those who think think that what you're doing might be wrong. But those who are willing to focus on the one who it says, he says, don't you see that's the reason why Jesus died and rose from the dead? So that he could be the Lord, not only the judge, but the justifier and the corrector of all the living and all the dead in all their living and in all their dying. It's a gift, friends. We can sit here and we can have innumerably different views about things that the Bible hasn't explicitly commanded. And we can choose not to be contemptuous towards each other or judge one another. We can talk with each other and we can try to improve each other's understandings. And people with weak faith can be corrected by those who have strong faith who refuse to be contemptuous to them. And we can all grow in maturity being convinced in our own minds because we believe we need to be conscientiously believing things about the truth, and we can grow up in the faith together, and we can have unity that is unheard of in the world as they attack and try to slit the throats and cancel each other. We can sit calmly and with humility, and we can love each other. And we can honor God and please the one who is our master which is our only real job. We can be part of the work of God in building up others through faith. We can so give a reputation to our master, Jesus, who is full of righteousness, holiness, and joy, a good reputation among outsiders so that what we believe is good is not spoken of as evil, or at least not because of us. And we can become true selves in Christ good and faithful servants, mature, and not only strong in our sense of freedom, not only strong in our ability to believe that we're allowed to eat meat, or get a tattoo, or drink a beer, but strong in our faith about how to love people, and to see the priority of God's work in others as the fundamental priority, so that we would throw away every freedom that we could participate in the salvation and the maturing and the working of God in the life of anybody because we're people of his kingdom. Friends, you and I should look so different from the fleshly response of contempt and judgment. Condemnation and flaunting. And we have such an opportunity to perfect each other and to serve each other and to help each other and to be involved in each other's maturity by being God's servants first, not pretending we can judge each other, and yet living as God's builder-upper rather than tripper-upper of our brothers and sisters. God's servants are here for us to build up, not trip up. Live in every way unto the Lord. And he will sort many of these things out and make you able to stand. God, as we uh, try to live what you have taught, would you, God, please help us to do it. Please help us to see it, to do it, to act upon it. Please help us to apologize to people that we have not done this with. Please help us to amend our practices and to receive your freedom and to turn ourselves back to the foundations and to let go of being another person's judge in disputable things and to focus on being a people who do everything to the Lord. And I pray that you'd help us focus on the account we will give of ourselves to you and who will want to be in that moment knowing that we won't be perfect enough to be saved, that you will have to make us stand, that only in Christ will we stand in that moment. But we know there is a relativity to you saying, well done, good and faithful servant to us, that there is a kind of righteousness that you can build in us, that we can possess, that will please you. It won't save us, but it will please you. And we want to live in as much of that as we can too. Help us. Come Holy Spirit. Lead us, Jesus. Guide our steps and your workmanship in us, Father.